There was a time and place that this university was feared. My goal as the head football coach at the University of Tennessee it is to get us back to that point. All right? Let me just quote the late, great Colonel Sanders. He said, I'm too drunk to taste this chicken. What is that? That's what she said. One step in the end zone. It's tipped up. It's caught. It is caught. Jawan Jennings. Jawan Jennings. Good morning. Afternoon. Evening. Brunch time. Lunch time. What a wonderful tribute to a wonderful man time. Also, Patrick Brown going out of town and getting out of our hair time. Ryan Callahan already out of our hair time. Praise the Lord time. Whatever time of day it is, it's the right time for the Go Vaults 24-7 podcast. Wes Rucker, Patrick Brown coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio. We are recording this on a Wednesday evening, probably be released on a Friday morning. So at this point... Patrick will no longer be in this zip code or area code. Not even in this time zone. Not even in this time zone. I will, however, be in within the borders of the great United States of America. Unlike you, you went on your honeymoon to St. Lucia. I'm not going to reveal where I'm going. You, these people don't need to know where I am. I know where you are, but I won't say. It's okay. I appreciate that. We're, we're about to find out if I have the same kind of panache as you do when you leave. <laughs> uh, um, panache isn't the right word honestly when i because i turned on my phone in st lucia like once a day and i never really like fully check out last year we went to nothing alaska. really happened actually it was crazy last year I went to alaska checked out for a week a couple things happened this year really checked out for like 10 days i think 10 11 days which is more than i've done since basically since i started working selling soup at age 15 and nothing happened crazy while I was gone and I would check my phone like once a day there in St. Lucia and when I would uh or turn it off airplane mode with the iPod and put it back on just to see like you know send pictures to my parents and stuff like that and so I would get texts and stuff then and nothing ever fell apart it was crazy it the Rucker rule might be done now it might be the Patrick Brown corollary and then there was a time not that long ago where you went out of town and Tennessee got a transfer back that they were about to lose. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Derek Kirkland. Maybe that was the, the curse breaker. Yeah, and that Now, was, of course, Ryan goes out of town, and Tennessee gets a commitment from a quarterback. Yeah, that's that's true. And, and, in, and in typical Ryan fashion, he's, like, directing us, like, here's what we need to do. Yeah, I'll, I'll <laughs> say this. I give Ryan I, – I, I, honest, I, honest to goodness, give Ryan Callahan more grief than any person that I've ever known in my entire life. I can I can back that up as fact. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a couple things here. One – he 145% deserves all of it. Two, <laughs> this guy, I mean, we all, like, work hard, right? And I joke all the time with Ryan, and he gets so mad when I say this. He's always working but never working very hard. And He's it, working. Even when he goes on vacation, he's, he's working. Like, he could be 5,000 miles away, or he could be, like, sitting here in the Fort Rucker studio on the on on the 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 Fort Rucker studio sofa watching the College World Series uh, game 2 with us here and it would be the same thing like he's just kind of sitting there on his phone thumbing through it texting people calling people it's like wait do you ever change does anything ever 
like register with you? How about some actual human emotion? But I will say this, that guy never, ever, ever completely unplugs. And I thought I was the king of that. No, he, he really, it, it's, it's unbelievable. Like he, he was on Wednesday, it's today, the day we're recording this, Tennessee gets a quarterback commitment. We'll talk a little bit more about him in just a second. And Ryan's technically away. And he's sitting there going, okay, uh, you're gonna, who's going to have the newsletter? Who's going to have this? I'm like, first off, why are you tapping the stripes here like you've got the seniority over this? You just be quiet. Secondly, if, it's, if the kid is committing, just tell us when and who, and we can, we can handle it from there. We'll get it from there. Like, you just tell us what's going to happen. We've been doing this for a combined, what, 40 years, 35 years, something like that, mm-hmm. between all of us. Like, we, we can handle it. I'm pretty sure we can handle it. And uh, but he said, no, okay, so okay, we'll have this and then we'll have that. It's like, dude, will you just go away? Will you just go away? Well, it's funny that he, you know, on, on the checkerboard, uh, if you're if you're a regular user, you, you will have seen this and noticed this. And if you're not, why aren't you? Um, go boss247.com about ten dollars a month, best ten dollars a month you'll ever spend. Um, and, and Ryan posts like, a, hey guys, I'm gonna be on vacation for the next few days, and then yet he's still posting on the board, and then every time he posts, it's like. You guys are like, aren't you supposed to be on vacation? Yeah. It's, and like, it's like PTO. True story. If you were able to catch it, in that thread, I made two cracks at Callahan before he deleted them. Uh-oh. He deleted my posts on our message board. It's probably which, not the first time that's happened. Which, first off, who has the authority to do that? Had I known that I could just go back in there and pay attention, probably everyone else knew this. But if you just go in there and pay attention, you can see one of the little icons. I can just delete everything the rest of y'all ever say on the board. And now that Ryan's opened this can of worms, I think he's going to regret it because there will be some edited and deleted posts. I assure you that because he threw the first stone and we know what the Bible says about that. It's coming back at you. I don't know if that's exactly what it says. That's a loose interpretation. I don't think that's what it says at all. Listen, listen, Patrick, I spent probably, what, 12 years at Catholic schools and I, even in the I Catholic went to a Christian school too. Yeah, I know. In the Catholic Bible, I'm pretty sure it says that if Ryan Callahan throws a stone at you, throw it right uh, back at you him. can throw it ten times harder right back at his face. So that's what's probably gonna happen over the next few days, even though we say Ryan's on vacation. Uh, we actually uh, will not know that. Uh, Patrick will be on vacation, and unless it's a personal text, uh, we won't have to worry about that because we're talented. Nope, see you guys later. Before we recorded this, <laughs> I sat there and I said, Patrick, and he said, like, I think I might really just kind of on vacation, like not worry about it. I'm like, guy, I don't, we don't need to hear from you. We're okay. You, you're gone. Callahan's gone. Remy and I can handle this. Come on. It's just like the basketball road trips. We got this. It's we, true. I have, I have full faith in you. That's why I'm not going to pay much attention. Yeah, that's, that's true. So we will have more on all of that later. And of course, uh, if you would like to make fun of Ryan Callahan, you can do so on Twitter at Ryan Callahan 24-7. You can send him an email to ryan.callahan at cbsinteractive.com. Uh, you can also send me a message, and I'll give you his cell phone number, uh, social security number. You can pay also, address. Uh, what is it, home. about $10 a month to just endlessly make fun of him on a message board. Yeah, well, and you can downvote him anonymous, anonymously, too. That's true. What, Every post. Like five, six times a day, you can, Boom. Just, you can just downvote Give him a little red arrow. You can downvote that sucker. I've never actually downvoted him, and I'm pretty sure he's downvoted me, but that's another story for another day. We actually have some interesting stuff to uh, talk about. Hold on. It's the itinerary, which I've written on a smaller pad today because... I already put the Facebook plan on this one sheet of legal. 
pad paper here, and I don't want to rip this one out. That that sheet that sheet of paper is earmarked for Facebook stuff. Yeah, and, and if I rip this one out, I have to write like I can't write on a loose sheet of yeah, legal pad paper. It has to be written with you on that one on there. So so we're this is on a much smaller one, and my handwriting sucks even more on a smaller notepad. Uh, but we have a bunch of stuff to talk about here before we get out of here and we let Patrick go on about his vacation. Uh, we've got uh, some some stuff from recruiting. Uh, since Ryan's gone, we can handle recruit recruiting like pros finally, and we will do that. Tennessee got a couple commitments from uh, Brian Moore, uh, Jaleel Clemens. We will talk about both of those cats. We will talk about uh, Tennessee uh, potential starting quarterback, likely starting quarterback, however you want to phrase that, Jared Garantano, he went down to the Manning Passing Academy. And I don't know if you know this, but uh, Peyton Manning went to the University of Tennessee. Uh, I, I had heard that, actually. You, you may you may have heard something about that. So we will get some some info from that. Uh, we got some really interesting stuff uh, from a longtime analyst, uh, Mr. Detillier, who uh, went on Jason Swain, our, our good friend of the pod, FOP, Jason Swain, my uh, brother from a, from a darker mother. Uh, they went on the podcast uh, on their radio show today and talked about uh, some of that stuff, so we'll bring that to you. Uh, and, and I want to, before we talk about this one other thing, I do want to mention that uh, we are going to have some fun with, uh, Patrick wrote some bold predictions uh, this week on the website at GoBoss247.com, best internet site in the history of the internet. And we will uh, we'll go back over those, and uh, I'll offer some input on just how bold they are. Uh, before I go into that later, I will say that they were incredibly well-written and they were good arguments, uh, even if I'm going to say that a couple of them I might politely disagree with. However, most of them I agree with, and they were really all of them, all of them were very well-articulated. I think you should know that. A blind squirrel finds an acorn every now and then. Yeah, it, it, I'd, I'd love to do that once in my life. Uh, first, uh, before we do all that, I will say that Tennessee, just uh, since we're recording this on Wednesday night, Tennessee just finished its uh, John Ward celebration over there at Thompson Bowling Arena, the longtime voice of the Vols, uh, who passed away last week at the age of 88. One of the most iconic broadcasters in history. If you are just listening to this Go Vols 24-7 podcast, go back an episode, or two episodes actually, where we uh, broke down uh, John Ward's career and talked about a lot of stuff there. And just, man, you could talk about the guy. You could have your own John Ward podcast. That's how how wonderful that man's life was and how wonderful he was as a human being. Uh, but Tennessee, I got to say, Vol, the Vol Network guys, um, Barry Rice, Link Hudson, Steve Early, all those guys did Justin, uh, Ben Bates, all those guys uh, put together a just an absolutely beautiful, beautiful ceremony. It was a couple hours long. They broke it into four quarters and a halftime, just like it was a, a game. Uh, the halftime, they had the Pride of the Southland band come out and play the alma mater uh, for the halftime because uh, John Ward used to always go there in the morning uh, of game days and he would go visit with the band and tell them how great they were and how much he loved them. And uh, so there was some of that good stuff. Uh, Peyton Manning could not be there, but he did send a video message that they were able to play. Charles Davis did make it a uh, long time or, or current Fox Sports broadcaster, former Tennessee wide receiver, voice of the Tennessee Titans, uh, former Vol Network, I guess Vol Network alum, Mike Keith. Uh, he gave an absolutely beautiful speech as well. Uh, Doug Dickey uh, flew into town to, to take part in it. Obviously, Philip Fulmer uh, took part in it. Obviously, Bob Kessling was the master of ceremonies. It, it was just really well done. There were some beautiful VFL Films uh, archive footage in there of some old calls and some videos of and, and some stories about John Ward and the restaurants he'd love to go to in town. And 
just how much he meant to so many people. And uh, I believe Tennessee is going to keep that archived on utsports.com and on their Facebook page, which if you uh, – the 99% of the time we're going to tell you to go to govals247.com. This is the 1% of the time we'll say go check out uh, UT's official site uh, and get that archive video. If you did not able – if you were not able to watch it or you were not able to attend the ceremony, it was incredibly, incredibly well done. And uh, they even ended it with that uh, Vince Gill song, The Go Rest High on That Mountain. And I was like, don't you do that. Don't you do that. Don't you do that. I'm usually a rock. There are a couple things in this world that will, like, make me have to go. Number one all time is uh, the Amazing Grace on the bagpipes. Gets me every time, every single time, no matter what. And that song, Vince Gill, uh, for a a personal family reason, always gets me too. And they played a video to it, and it was just – it was really, really well done, and kudos to everybody at the Vol Network, Tennessee Sports Information Office. Uh, it, it was truly fantastic. I'm probably forgetting a couple of the, the people who spoke, but uh, took some notes during it, and it was it was really, really well done. Yeah, not not a surprise that, that Lincoln Barry and those guys did an excellent job. Best in the uh, They are outstanding at what they do, and um, I actually I'll have to admit, and I'll, you can send my hate mail to. West.rucker at cbsinteractive.com. But I did not get a and chance I'll to forward watch it. And I'll to ryan.callahan at cbsinteractive.com. <laughs> I did not get a chance to watch it. I will go back and look at the archived. Um, uh, maybe, that, maybe that'll make a good uh, a plane. There you go. Plane viewing um, where I'm flying to my secret location. Secret but, location. But yeah, I mean, I, I didn't get a chance to, uh, to to be on the pod last week when, when y'all talked about that. But, I mean, I, I grew up following Tennessee football, watching Tennessee football. Um, I think I was about 10 in 1998. That's about how old I was. And so, um, you know, my parents did what a lot of people did. They would sometimes turn the, turn the TV down, especially if they didn't like the announcers and they'd listen to John call yeah. the game. That um, guy hates the Vols. <laughs> um, you know, of course, back in those days, there, there weren't, you know, not every game was on TV. So some games, True. if you didn't go and, and it was on TV, you were listening to the radio. And uh, one of my vivid memories from that 98 season is, is when – um, this is when Tennessee finally got to number one. I think they beat UAB uh, the same day that Michigan State, Nick Saban's Michigan State, beat Ohio State, which is Seems ranked right. number one. Yeah. Uh, and at my at our house, we had Ohio, the Ohio State game on the TV, and then we had on the on the speaker on the on, on the radio, we had Tennessee game, and and you know listen to that call. So, uh, you just think of how many people grow up and you know loving Tennessee football and that whole generation. That's how they. That's how they. You know, probably how they came to love it so much was through him and through the way that he called games and the uh, just just the manner that he he did what he did and and I think you read a great column that you know he was greatness. I mean that's that's what he, he's. Yes. You mentioned play by play guys and a lot of you know a lot of college play by play guys. You know, there's a, a handful of them that are cut from a different cloth. They're institutions. Yeah, I mean they're just as much. Um, part of the program is the players and, you know, yeah. the coaches. I mean, if you're making a Mount Rushmore of Tennessee football, John Ward's face is probably on it just because of what he meant and, and how he was such a part of the program and meant so much. And At a time was, when, was yeah, such an, It was, was such option. an influence to so many people that grew up loving Tennessee football and, and paying attention to it across this state and across this area, this region. Yeah, and, and, and we've touched on a lot of this before, but, but just that, that was a time where – you know, I was talking on a radio station somewhere, I think last week, and said it was kind of like, you know, that opening scene of Anchorman where they talk about before you had all the national news and yeah. everything like that. You had your local Anchorman. 
and it used to be like for SEC football teams and college football teams across the country, you had your anchor man basically. You had your guy. He he was the guy who would do the coaches show. He he announced the games, and he he was the guy. Whatever he said, that was the authority, and that was John Ward. And, and I think Charles Davis said it really well during the the ceremony where he said. You know, they always said Walter Conkright was the most trusted man in America. Well, well in Tennessee, uh, Walter Conkright was the second most trusted man because no one was trusted more than Mr. Ward. And it just takes you back to a time and place. You know, you joke about, oh, things were simpler back in the day. And a lot of times we say that stuff and it's just silly, like things are just as cool now as they were then. But I think this is one case where that absolutely is the truth because – for all the things, you know, kids growing up these days, you just don't get that sort of bond with someone because you've got a million yeah, I mean, most ways are, to do everything. Most people are either going to the game or they're watching on TV. And, you know, most of the time when you hear uh, radio guys, it's like on ESPN and SportsCenter when like an amazing play happens and they take, uh, you know, yeah. like we saw maybe with the – uh, Jennings. Yeah, the Hail Mary game where, you know, maybe I don't know if ESPN did that. Maybe SEC Network did this where they took the Georgia call of it and the Tennessee call of it and they put it on with the highlight. And that's maybe where a lot of people only hear the radio call. Now, obviously, you have people that maybe are at work on Saturdays or traveling and, you know, they listen to it that way. But you don't have as many people that, um, you know, that are watching the game on TV, listening to it on the radio or just – you know, at the house, listen to the game on the radio because it's on TV and it's, you know, you can watch it in 18 different ways now. You can watch it on your iPad, your computer, your TV, your phone. You know, you can you, you, you follow these games and this stuff so much so much differently than you used to, and, and that's why it is it is sort of a, a dying breed, as you mentioned. Yeah, and we would have John Ward calls as, you know, part of the intro for the, for the podcast that we do every week, but, you know, we don't have the rights to those. We can play the CBS ones because, you know, CBS Sports owns 24-7 Sports, which you know, technically our bosses are CBS. So we can use that footage. It's why I use that the Uncle Vern call of the Juwan Jennings Hail Mary. But it, it, it's if we could, we'd use some of that John Ward stuff. But that's not our property. And uh, if I was the owner of that property, I would guard it very closely too. So I, I, I do not necessarily blame them one bit for that we do have some uh some football news to get to and again if you want to hear some of more of us talking about john ward you can go back two episodes and you can listen to that one where a bunch of us were were in here in the studio doing that uh today well we've mentioned that that ceremony and you should go there and you should go watch that uh, but now we will get to some of the news and as we've mentioned there have been a uh, now that ryan callahan's going on vacation again praise the lord uh, there were a couple of commitments for Tennessee, and, and he was in town for one of them, the uh, Starkville, Mississippi, three-star defensive end, Jaleel Clemens, who committed to Tennessee. We'll, we'll talk about him in just a second, but first we'll get to, I guess, what's the fresher news, uh, which is that those of you who were looking for Tennessee to get a quarterback in this class, well, at least temporarily, you never know in recruiting these days, but at least temporarily, the Vols have found their man. He is down there in Florida. His name is Brian Moore. He's uh, Ray is a three-star prospect uh, by 24-7 Sports and in the 24-7 uh, Sports Composite. However, uh, he has been doing well at the Elite 11. He might be a kid who's on the rise. And you have to take this with a grain of salt when you're watching film because all high school kids' highlight tapes look good. But I think there's a lot to like about this kid. He's a decent little athlete, throws a nice ball, uh, plays in a, a very talent-rich state, uh, had a legitimate Ohio State offer 
Uh, so, so there was some reason, I think, for people to, to get excited about this kid. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Uh, a few weeks ago, um, <clears throat> I, I was asked on, on our message board, you know, why hasn't Tennessee gotten in with any of the, any of the Elite 11 caliber guys? Um, and if you're not familiar with the Elite 11, it's basically like they take the top 24 quarterback prospects, rising seniors for that particular class, and they put them together and have them compete. They kind of do a – I think it's a three-day workout. They have like a pro-day workout one day. Uh, I I can't remember what the first day is, and the third day is seven on seven, and you know in this stage, you know seven on seven, you can't base everything off that. But no, um, some of it's you stupid. put you put twenty four of these guys together, and half of them get to go to the opening, which is I believe starts on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's in Texas. You're not in Oregon, um, and they kind of because they wanted humidity. And, and I, I guess. and I talked to uh, Greg Biggins, Greg Biggins, who's one of our uh, national guys. I think he's based out on the West Coast, and uh, he was at the Elite Eleven, saw all these guys throw. Um, and he said that the way they do it is they sort of rank them going into the event. Uh, and so if you're going to make the cut, if you're going to make the Elite 11, you you know, and if you're not one of those top 12 guys, you're going to have to outperform some people, and that's what Moore did. Um, and they said he's got all the physical tools, and he's about 6'2", 6'3". Um, yeah, I think they got him at 6'2 and a half, something like that. I think, yeah, I think that was the official measurement out there. Uh, I think around 180. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks like a guy that has a frame that can um, add some weight that you'd like to see. Uh, typical pro-style guy. has got some good pocket mobility mm-hmm. uh, from what Biggins told me when I talked to him. Uh, and what's interesting is that he was a guy, uh, I think he had 18 interception, uh, eighteen touchdowns and 13 interceptions last season as a junior. Uh, and what Biggins th- was surprised when he heard those numbers because he thought the physical talent of just throwing on air, throwing on seven on seven, didn't match up with those numbers. With those numbers. And – I imagine if you're playing down in Ocala, Florida, you're playing against some decent teams and some decent talent. But um, it, it's sort of one of those things where, you know, a guy can look great against air and against seven-on-seven seven when he's not getting rushed. But when you put the yeah. pads on, you have five, six guys chasing after him, things get different. Uh, and so it'll be interesting to see if Moore can, you know. Yeah, Garantano had similar numbers yeah. like that in high school. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting to see if Moore can sort of translate what he's been able to show this summer. Um, and – have another kind of a bigger senior year, more touchdowns, fewer interceptions, better completion percentage, all that stuff. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, maybe that stuff doesn't matter because you're going to get to college and you're going to get coached up and you're going to have time to adjust because it's a different level and all that stuff. But uh, if you can put up big numbers at, high, at the high school level, you think you can be able to put them up at, at the college level. Now, uh, the, I think a lot of the questions people were asking after this is, is Tennessee going to take two? Because they're still going after Talia Tagovailoa. He's the – He's the uh, the Moby Dick of this class yeah. for Tennessee. He, that white he's committed whale. to Alabama. Yeah, he's he's committed to Alabama. He's uh, the younger brother of of Tua Tagovailoa. Um, How many ten- times do you practice saying that? Well, as as someone who was on one of the original Tua adopters, uh, October or whatever it was, the day that he played against Tennessee, it took him about two series for me. I don't know if I told you this. Yeah, no, that that I think we all saw that <laughs> pass that pass downfield that he threw into just a teacup from, from like, well, however I far mean, away. He, he had about throw. two series, and I was thinking to myself, this guy's better than Jalen Hurts. and uh, Throws it better, no doubt. Yeah, he had, a, he, had a, he had a touchdown run where he made Tennessee's defense look like they were running in concrete. But um, Tennessee's not lit up on him. He was up, at cam- he was up on campus not that long ago. They're going to keep trying there. Uh, and if they can get him, I think they'll take two quarterbacks. The other thing is if one of these current guys leaves – whether it be Garantano, Will McBride, maybe J.T. Schrock gets homesick, wants to go back West Coast. We're just speculating here, not saying it's going to happen. 
But if one of those guys leaves. They're quarterbacks. One of them will take their ball and go home. If one of them leaves after this season or between now and either December or February, you're going to want to have a second quarterback in this class. Now, depending on when that might happen or if it happens or whatnot, maybe you don't want two freshmen. Maybe you go the uh, grad transfer route again if you can. Maybe you go to the junior college rank, something like that. But um, because Kellen, Keller Chris is going to be – this is hit for him. He's going to be moving on. Uh, if you were to lose one of those other three guys, you'd be down to two quarterbacks, and that's not where you want to be. You want to probably have at least three, if not four. So, um, But Moore's a guy that looks looks like he's got a, a lot of upside, and um, we'll see if, if, if our ratings guys – we don't handle the ratings, so – don't direct your complaints at us. Um, Ryan Doc Callahan. That's, no, no, Ryan doesn't do them either. We, we've got guys who do that. Uh, and, and I'm sure they, they will revisit it after seeing him, not only in the Elite 11 earlier this month, but also at the opening this weekend. Um, they will, I'm sure they will adjust the rankings. And if he has another good showing there or that setting, then uh, he's a guy that you know doesn't seem like a four-star. Getting a bump to a four-star is out of the, out of the question, I wouldn't think, just from – from talking to some people. But. No, and, and what's important to me is that Tennessee's coaches saw him in camp and wanted him. Here's what I like about him. He goes to Tennessee, goes to camp, gets an offer. Goes to Ohio State, goes to camp, gets an offer. When coaches see him in person, they want him. And that, to me, means a good bit. Yeah, and, and I think that um, – I think it was Steve Wolfong, another one of our national guys. We have an excellent network of national recruiting analysts. It's one of the reasons yeah. to uh, get your money's worth on those guys in addition to what we do. But um, said that – you know, and, and I had heard this too that that Moore looked really good and had a really good day throwing for Tennessee's coaches when he was here. So, uh, and, and a lot of times quarterbacks are are position. It's such an important position in this day and age that if you know if you're coaching staff, you're going to want to see these guys and, and the guy that you end up getting. You're going to want to see them in camp in front of you if you can, and you're going to want to see them in person as much as you can. Because that's something that's a position that you want to be absolutely one hundred percent sure that you got the right guy and you got a guy that's going to get the job and, done. And you need you need to get to meet him and talk with him and see him in person and, yes. and get to know his personality too because it's that's between the ears there. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a great point. And, and so um, that was my original thought. Is you know I was asking, you know why didn't Tennessee got in on these elite eleven guys? Well, they were kind of starting out because quarterbacks a lot a lot of times are committing early. I think about half of the four star guys in this class, and it's not a. It's not an elite class in terms of comparing it to some of the other ones, but still could be some good quarterbacks in it more. It could be one of them when it's all said and done if he continues to, to show out well in some of these settings. But, um, you know, a lot of these guys are committed early after their junior years, uh, and, a lot, and about half of them were already committed before Tennessee staff even was hired. And a lot of them, another handful of them, had committed this spring. And so if you're Tennessee staff, unless you've been recruiting them to where you were, then – you know, you're, you're kind of playing catch-up, and it's hard to convince a guy that's been looking at schools for so long to jump on board in just a, a few months after the, at that position. And especially if you're a guy like Tyson Elton, who was on the West Coast, you're recruiting kids from California to USC, now you're in a totally different part of the country. It's hard to maybe get in, uh, you know, in the door with some of these guys. But they went after some of them. Obviously, they're still recruiting Tagovailo and I think Sam Howell's another Elite 11 guy that they wanted. Mm-hmm. Uh, or at least checked out extensively, and he went to Florida State, or he committed to Florida State. But uh, Moore looks like I think he's a good fit for what they want to do. Uh, I think he's got, again, all the, all the physical tools, maybe need some time to develop potentially. Uh, and I think you, unless you're a generational elite kind of talent at quarterback, then it, you know, it's not the end of the world for you to redshirt a year, mm-hmm. take a year to, you know, to adjust to it, learn the offense, learn the personnel that you have on your team and in your program, and then – uh, you know, have a chance to compete your your retro freshman year, but 
uh, yeah, I think Moore's a good pickup, and, and we'll have to see how he does this next week. Yeah, there's just a few days before that, speaking of, of guys who, who were not maybe the highest-rated guys that Tennessee has taken, just before that, Tennessee added, well, I guess we, we could say that Moore was the uh, – was how many? He was the 12th commitment, so that would have made uh, Mr. Jaleel Clemens the 11th commitment. He was a, a defensive end, six foot two, 238 pounds, what he's listed at from Starkville High School in Starkville, Mississippi. And uh, there are some people. And again, if, if, if you don't know a ton about these kids and you say, wait a minute, this kid's playing in Starkville, Mississippi, doesn't have an offer from either of the Mississippi schools, why does Tennessee want him? Well, I can't answer for Ole Miss. That one surprises me. But I, I do believe that Mississippi State's gone on a, on a nice run and gotten some, some defensive linemen already in this class that they like a lot. So they were may, maybe facing a number situation there. But there are some people that I've talked to in Mississippi who think a lot of this kid uh, will see how he develops uh, like anybody else. Uh, he'll have to go prove it. But right now he's rated 652 overall in the composite and 43 nationally at the strong side defensive end position number 25 player in Mississippi so not necessarily the the lofty numbers uh, people are thinking a guy like Pruitt gets in there defensive guy he's gonna start getting all these big time guys and uh, he has gotten some of them already you know Anthony Harris uh, Lakia Henry uh, the, the, there have been some some big ones I think Ladarius Cox is a good player too um, but this was not a necessarily a big time get Patrick but it's it seems to me like this is a guy they saw they liked a lot and it, Pruitt is going to have to sign off on everybody but especially the defensive players and he stood on the table for this kid yeah and again I think you know the guy that came to camp they saw in person they liked what he had to di- had to say and really quick on coming. um yeah it, I think he's projects as sort of a, a rush edge edge yeah. rush guy outside linebacker in this defense um an outside linebacker in 3-4 and then a, a 4-3 defense, defensive end. Go get the quarterback. Speed guy off the edge. Um, something that I, that he mentioned to, to Ryan in the story was that Pruitt talked to him and sort of compared him to Ryan Anderson at Alabama. That's, I'm a guy that likes to I'm – I'm sort of a visual guy, so you say yeah. this guy reminds me of this guy, then it makes more sense to me. Um, and so I, I, I sort of see that. And um, you want to talk about why Mississippi State didn't, didn't recruit him. Uh, I think his high school coach – uh, told one of our guys, I'm trying to read the quote here, this is what you get when you try to do this on uh, on the spot, said Mississippi State came by and said, flat out said he was too small. Hmm. So, uh, and now Mississippi State. That would be Bob Shoup. That would be Bob Shoup. That Shoop. would be Bob Shoup saying he's too small. And, of course, Tennessee fans are like, well, if Bob Shoup says he's not very good, then yeah. he's probably really good. <laughs> I want every guy that Bob Shoup says sucks. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, he, you know, he's a guy that, that his high school coach said he's, he thinks he's the best defensive line, lineman in the state in the state of Mississippi. So, so another guy that you know, if he has a good senior year, he'll probably get more attention. But certainly, if you're if you're Tennessee, you you obviously had some interest in him because you're kind of you were his first like major conference offer. Got him to camp, and I mean, I know people. You know, we probably told everybody to you know trust the coaches' evaluations over the past five years, and we I saw that, that I, got Tennessee. I, I, I saw that with Butch. I said that with Butch Jones for a couple of years. Then I was like, nah, okay, <laughs> let's see. I was going to have to prove it to me. Uh, I mean, but it's just, you know, it really is different when – if Jeremy Pruitt likes this guy, Jeremy Pruitt's coached some top-notch football players. Yeah. I mean, he his his look, first game back at, at Alabama – Look at his curriculum, I mean, I look, look at, you know, the, the defense at Alabama – the defenses at Alabama he's coached is, you know, Alabama's uh, entire starting defense from their 2016 season opener was drafted in the NFL. 
So and you have he to go back knows, to like, you have to, that's like the yeah. Tennessee national championship team defense. Like yeah. he, he knows what elite football talent looks like, especially on the defensive side of the ball, because he's been around it and he's coached it and he's recruited it. Played it. Yeah. Well, I don't know if he was elite as a player. No, 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 but he was a player at the SEC level. So yeah. again, he, he has seen this and and I'll say this. I'm going to have to assume that that size listed about him is accurate because if not, it's oddly specific at six foot two, 238 pounds. Uh, if that's a, you know, if, if he's just on the phone, you're not telling somebody, I weigh 238. If we got 238, that's probably coming from a measurement uh, or a weight that someone's registered officially uh, someplace. With that said, if that size is legit six two, 240 ish, and he gets off the edge the way he did in some of those videos, you can work with that. Uh, I, I don't pretend to be an expert. I've said this before. I, I know uh, enough about football, obviously, to do this for a living, but uh, more of a, a baseball guy, basketball guy. You know, X's nose footballs, I, I'm not Bear Bryant. No, I'm just going to throw that out there. But I, I will say that if that size is legit and he can put on a few more pounds and he can be that quick off the edge as he is in some of these videos – I think Tennessee might have a decent player there. I think that guy – I like the way he gets off the ball. Yeah, and, and this isn't a guy that, that – you know, he's not one of your typical, like, he just blew up at camp and Tennessee was so wowed by him. I mean, they, they've been evaluating him during the spring spring yeah. period. They, they offered him in, uh, in early May. So they've been, they've been checking on him, and they've been evaluating him and looking at him. And then uh, the staff seems really big on getting guys in camp. Uh, and we've seen that with some of the in-state guys as well, that they want to see them in person, evaluate them in person, and go from there. And that's that's something that the staff apparently seem you know values quite a bit. And this was a guy that they liked, and uh, I guess you know when they saw him in camp and saw some of the things he did, some of the speed he had, uh, getting off the edge, how he used his hands, those kind of things, motor, all that stuff you can measure better in person than you can on, on hand a film. violence. Hashtag, yeah. hashtag hand violence. Yeah, and you know you can. Den- you can denounce hand violence all you want. Derek Barnett had really good hands, and he obviously turned out. To oh be no! Okay. I was just saying, I, I like all the time when when the uh, when when you hear you know say he's got great hand violence. I love that hand violence. It's one of my favorite football phrases. But yeah, I mean, once you see all these attributes in person as a coaching staff, if you've already kind of liked what you saw from a guy on film and and what you see in person with your own eyes confirms it, then you know that's that's the name of the game in a lot of cases. Speaking of uh, some guys that. Tennessee once recruited. Uh, now, obviously, he has been at Tennessee for a while. Young Mr. Jarrett Garantano, the uh, third-year sophomore, I guess you could call him now. Uh, Tennessee started for most of last season when he was healthy anyway. He went down to, as most Tennessee quarterbacks tend to do at some point during their career, at least once, he went down to the Manning Passing Academy over the weekend down there in Louisiana. And uh, a guy who 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 I I respect this guy's analysis a good bit I think he, he he was one of the first guys to say Quentin Nelson was so good uh, the Notre Dame guard and he ended up being a first round draft pick this guy's got a pretty decent track record of prospects that he likes end up being pretty good so I, I think that's something uh, to to consider when I tell you that his name is Mike Dettelier and he went on our good friend Jason Swain's radio show here locally the Swain event on Wednesday morning and uh, he was asked about Jarrett Garantano's performance at the Manning Academy. If you don't know the Manning Academy, uh, you can't have college coaches be there. So what they do is they have college football quarterbacks come down and uh, compete against each other but also serve as coaches for a lot of the high school kids. And so uh, he was down there competing against some of the other guys, and here is what Dettelier said about him. This is a direct quote. 
I'll be honest with you, he was a little erratic throwing the throwing the ball, but that didn't surprise me because he's working with receivers that he's never worked with. You come here, you don't bring the Tennessee volunteer wide receivers with you. He's working with wide receivers from Tulane, LSU, Nickel State, Southeastern Louisiana. He kind of blew a little bit hot and cold throwing the football, but when he was on, he was really impressive throwing the football. If that doesn't sound exactly like Jarrett Garantano, I don't know what does. That sort of sums up what – we've been seeing from him which is man when he he's got a great arm throws the ball unbelievably well when he's in rhythm and doing the thing when he's holding it too long when he's being inconsistent when he's rushed a little bit when he gets a little bit out of his element he's he gets a little gets a little chilly pretty quickly but when he's on he looks really good yeah i I guess i'm i'm still i don't want to say in wait and see mode on garantano but i'm I'm, in wait and see i'm not holding anything from last season against him or really anybody on this team, if we're being honest. That's fair. Uh, I, I I just think he's probably learned uh, in the past six months, probably learned more about the game and how to read read the game than maybe he did his first years on campus. I don't think it's maybe not a stretch to say that. I have heard that that is 100% the case. So, uh, and if, you know, that was always sort of the, the knock against Garantano is that he looked great if he was thrown on air if you took a defense off the field, but once you put the defense on the field, that's when he got in some trouble with some of his decision-making and some of his accuracy and inconsistency and some of the erratic nature of his throwing that you talked about. So um, all in all, I think that was a great experience for Jarrett because um, playing quarterback and playing quarterback at Tennessee is something that means a lot to him. Uh, and does. so the opportunity to get on there and, and represent Tennessee uh, among uh, uh, who's who of college football quarterbacks, if you name uh, – a big-time quarterback at the college level, he was probably there. Stidham, Bentley, Hurts, Fromm, Drew Locke, Jake Browning. 17 uh, 17 of the 32 NFL starting quarterbacks have gone to that camp, and I think something like 10 of the 13 quarterbacks drafted last year went to that camp at some point. Yeah, I mean, it it was, you know, all the major starting quarterback guys were there pretty much, And, and Archie Manning calls all of them, and and a story I read from from down in New Orleans said that when Garantano got the call, he he, you know, basically broke down about the opportunity. Um, so this is, I, and I I don't think it's fair that people still hold the Georgia Tech stuff against Garantano. I think he's grown up a lot since then, and I think that's absurd that people still do. If I'm being if and, I'm being totally honest, and we still don't know how what he was told that led exactly. to that, and and exactly, you know, I, I'm not gonna. Being someone myself who who had a temper a little bit when I was younger too, I I mean I'm not going to hold that. If you don't care enough to get upset, then I don't know how much you care. Now you should control it, but if you don't care enough that you either get visibly upset or you have to contain being visibly upset, then what's wrong with you? That's my opinion. And on and, it. and he's still going to you know going to wear his emotions on his sleeves, but I think he that was a learning point for him because it ever since then. Everything has looked like he's carried himself like you're supposed to as Tennessee quarterback. You know whether that's on the field, whether that's in practice, whether that's after the game when you got you know you just got your your you know your first college start ended on a on a throw on a play where you made a great throw and it went through your receiver's hands, and then you get out of the stadium and you got hundred kids that want your autograph, want a picture with you, and you have to handle that part of it. Uh, he helped it. You know Josh Dobbs had his camp here in yeah. Knoxville a few weeks ago, and Garantano was there at that. I'm sure, you know, he was enjoying the uh, working with the kids down in Louisiana, too. And so, uh, I, you know, a lot of benefit down there for him, I think, to, to sort of take a break from going up, you know, 
went up against Keller Christ every day up here and then to get down there and hang out with some guys that, you know, have been through what he's been through and uh, obviously to hang out with the Mannings too. I know that that meant a lot to him. And, um, again, it, I don't want to get too far ahead because Garantano was winning one of my bold predictions. But, but yeah, going back to what Dettelier said, I think, you know, it's not really surprising. It was interesting, and, and you haven't written this yet as of Wednesday night, but you're going to, what, what Dettelier said about Keller Christ. A dink and dunk specialist, <laughs> essentially. It, it, it was like it was just not it was not what I would call the kindest. Yeah, but that's you know that's at Stanford. That's you know Stanford's quarterbacks didn't really have to go out and win them games necessarily because the, they had give the ball to Bryce Love, give the ball to McCaffrey. Christian McCaffrey. They had a big physical offensive line. They had a good defense. Um, you know, quarterbacks didn't have to go out there and win games for them. So. Uh, but again, you know what, what? What will Chris do in an offense where maybe he is asked to do more? Can he handle it? So, uh, I think this. I think this quarterback race is going to be pretty tight. I think over the course of twelve games this season, twelve, thirteen games, since he's probably going to need both Garantano and Chris to be the guy at certain points. Probably fair uh, behind this offensive line. So, I know you've mentioned that before, but um, yeah, I mean, I think you know, I think it was a good experience for Garantano to get down there, and I think you know he is what he is at this point. And remember, he's still he's still a young guy. He still isn't. This is his third year, but he hasn't really been a full year as a starter. He's only been half a year as a starter, and the half a year he was a starter it was a pretty crappy situation, if we're being totally honest. So, yeah, well, and I'll say this too before we move on. He, this is what Atelier said about uh, Garantano. Uh, he said where Jarrett needs to get a little bit better, and he talked about this with me, is his body balance skills, his ability to set and throw quicker, and also working more under center than out of the shotgun. He felt as though that was something he was working at. He practiced uh, to the left of us during the shows, uh, doing when we were recording shows, and I saw Peyton Manning working with him on the field on what Peyton called the float. Peyton's not going to outrun a lot of guys on that football field, even when he was 22, 23 Crazy years legs old. Manning. Yeah, but he had a <laughs> maneuver of calling floating the pocket, and he just moved a little to the left, moved a little right, and then took, take, uh, took two hard steps up and then made the throw. I saw him working with Jared on that quite a bit, uh, and he and Jalen Hurts were going through the exact same thing later. Here's where it's interesting. He said, you can see the tremendous arm talent, but there was some erratic nature with Jarrett. And I think for him, understanding the offense completely will help. Uh, that That's, again, he's working with a new offense, and we'll see about yeah. what he had to deal with last year. And he did say what, what really, really intrigued him. Here's the final quote I'll give about this. He said, for Jarrett, it was interesting. He was part of the interview session on Friday, and I got to talk to him. And one of the things he brought up to me, and I saw it in the practice sessions with him, was him getting better, taking snaps under center, the quicker release, the quick three-step drop, and getting rid of the football with better timing and better balance. That what he was, that's what he was working on. And if that's what Garrett Tano saw from himself on film, that's good. And if that's what Tennessee coaches saw from him on film, that's good because that's exactly, in my opinion, what his issue was. Uh, he He – he held on to the ball as most first-year starting quarterbacks do. Yeah, held on to the ball too long, got out of rhythm, made some made some mistakes. Clearly, uh, from when he held on to the ball, took too many hits. Alabama beat the living tar nation out of him. So yeah, I mean, I think that's that's a big thing. And in this new pro set offense, that's something pro style attack. That's going to be something he has to do is be better under center because that's what Tennessee's going to be doing. Now. And I think that's been a summer emphasis for, for Garantano, too, because remember he, at the end of May, he was in Nashville working with George Whitfield, uh, the guy that's worked with all sorts of quarterback. The quarterback whisperer. Yeah, uh, he, and, and that was something that, that Whitfield shared in, a, in an interview he did with Nashville Radio uh, where he said that Garantano was excited about the new offense because it, it's more of a pro-style offense. It'll get you better 
better equipped for the NFL, and that was something that, that he'd been working on a lot was just taking snaps from under center. It's something that, that – and, you know, I'm sure I think Garantano's worked with Whitfield in the past too, and that's something that they've – Whitfield always has those guys go through is it's just sort of the mechanics of coming out from under center and the drops and all that kind of stuff. And we already mentioned this a little bit, but we'll just quickly gloss over this and say that uh, his review of uh, Christ was not what I would call complimentary, but not really. If it were a rap, I don't know if I would call it a diss track. Uh, it, it was more of just a reality check, I think, a little bit. He said, listen, this guy is what he is. Maybe he can do more, but in Stanford's offense, he basically tried to do what they asked him to do. And we'll see if he does more for Tennessee because Tennessee will need dynamics from the quarterback position because uh, Tennessee uh, has got some work to do there. We all know that. they got to protect the quarterback. They've got to do a lot of things uh, that have nothing to do with the quarterback if they want to be good on offense. Before we get out of here, this is – we're going to have a little fun with this. Earlier this week, Patrick wrote – and again, very articulately stated – 10 bold predictions for Tennessee's 2018 season. And again, refresher course here, quick 101. Bold. These are supposed to be bold. So he's not saying these things are going to happen, but he's saying if you want to say what could happen, here's a bold prediction, here's something that could happen. And uh, then if it if it ends up being – if all these come true, you can probably go back in time, edit the bold out of this, and just say that you were basically the, the new Westerdamas of the Tennessee beat and you were – you nailed all of this. That's what yeah, I would do. I am interested to see how many of these come true. I bet if I get three of them, I'll be thrilled. And we'll we'll list all ten really quickly and then go over them individually. Let's uh, go. Let's do them one at a time. Just mention them one at a time. Yeah. Okay. Here was. Do you want to? You want to? I'll, I'll read and you react. Count down ten to one. Yeah, I didn't really. I did. I just not really ranking them necessarily, but just in a list. Uh, my just first so you, bold just so you prediction. Know how many you'd already written? My first bold prediction is Tennessee will beat Florida. I don't mind that prediction. I, I don't know. I won't say strongly agree with that, but I could see it because Florida is also going through a major transition, and I think Florida's quarterback situation is a bit of a blank show right now. It, it's not <laughs> great from what I've heard. That one would not surprise me. Uh, again, I usually have to say I have to see Tennessee beat Florida before I believe it, but uh, Tennessee has gotten that that curse uh, reversed a little bit in in recent histories last year, not included, but in Neyland, I could see it. I mean, that's not, that wouldn't be a huge shock to me. I just don't, a couple of places are like really high on Florida and I see them as basically a sunshine state version of Tennessee. (laughs) Like, I think there's a lot of similarities when you look at these rosters. I think you got a lot of, you know, I think even if you went back and looked at the recruiting class rankings on paper, they're probably pretty similar over the last four years. And, okay. you know, you mentioned the quarterback situation. Florida's offensive line's not been very good either. Even though they've got all five starters back, their offensive line was really bad last year. So is, yeah, that, the a good good, news is that, that a good thing? Yeah, the good news is all the starters are back. The bad news is all <laughs> the, the starters, starters are back. back. Um, so, I mean, you know, they got some nice pieces. Uh, they also got some holes and some, some question marks. They got some guys that they're losing. Uh, so, I, I mean, I, I think, you know, like ESPN's football power index has them going like nine and three or something. And, Athlon has them ranked in the top twenty, and I'm just like, I just don't see it. I guess they're banking on Dan Mullen being Dan Mullen, but good coach. He's a good coach, and if there's a guy that you know, we we like to point out how Jeremy Pruitt's sort of a defensive backs guru. Mullen is a quarterbacks guru. So if you're Florida, if you're a Florida fan, you're probably thinking if anybody can get something out of Felipe Franks or whoever it is, it's probably Dan Mullen. 
He's and they're going to have a good, you know, running backs, and you know, they're going to have good running backs. And if, if Fan Jefferson, the Ole Miss transfer, gets cleared to play, they're going to have some good receivers. But overall, I just think that they're, you know, on a on on a similar level to Tennessee, and I think that's a toss up game. And if Tennessee's at home, I think they can win that game. Yeah, uh, you know, Florida's going to play good defense. It usually usually does that. Uh, what I really like about Dan Mullen is that he will do things on offense that it's kind of like Mike leeching it, whereas you think of traditional things that you have to do to be good at offense, and he doesn't care about those things. He tries to figure out what his guys can do and how he can exploit what they do have, and he does a very good job of – because at Mississippi State and the SEC West, you had to do this. You didn't have – I mean, he had Dak Prescott, sure. I mean, and he developed him. But he didn't always have – most of the time he's playing with a short stack. Let's put it this way. He's going to the poker table with fewer chips than most of his opponents in the West. Let's call it what it is. However, he was able to find those few pieces he had that could do damage to you, and he exploited those matchups. And he's really good at doing that. So that is one that it wouldn't, it, it wouldn't necessarily surprise me. I'll say um, toss-up on that one. I think that's a fair grade for that one. Uh, next bold prediction, I think you're going to – you're going to skewer me for this one. The Vols will finish in the top half of the SEC in scoring defense. You know, I just spent uh, <laughs> uh, eight days or so in St. Lucia, and they have this stuff down here or down there. <laughs> it's called ganja. <laughs> they have this other stuff down there called rum. And I want to know where the ganja and rum for this one came from because, God bless you, you actually articulate it pretty well here. Hey. I just, for me, here's how I look at it. Here's how I look at it. I don't know. I don't. That's just seventh. That's all I'm saying. I, I don't think they're very. They were good. ninth last year. I don't think they're very good up front, and I don't nope. think they're very good at cornerback. Nope. <laughs> and for me, it's really hard defensively to figure out how the chess pieces because you can design around some things and you can you can paper over some holes and duct tape and you know uh, super glue. You, you can figure out a way to gorilla tape. You you can figure out a way to to get some stuff done here. However when you are not very good on the defensive line and you're not very good at corner, it's really hard to be good at defense. So unless Tennessee plays some maybe a little ball control offense and keeps these scores organically low, like, you know, treats them that way and gets them that way, uh, I guess inorganically I could say, I should say, then I don't know how that one happens. I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go uh, disagree on that one. My, my thinking here is that Tennessee was ninth in the SEC in scoring defense last year, and in terms of average points per game, they were only two points back of Florida, which was in seventh. So they don't they don't have that much. They're not like reinventing the wheel here. Um, Fair enough. And my my thinking here is that maybe Tennessee's defense is good at forcing turnovers, and maybe they're a little bit better in the red zone than they have. Maybe they give up five hundred yards a game, but they also give up like five field goals a game in the red zone as opposed to touchdowns. Um, and maybe again, I think you're if you're if you're trying to be optimistic, you're banking on this defensive staff, the caliber that it is, making at least a little bit of a difference and a little bit of an improvement. So that was my thinking there. Next one, uh, this is an individual one. This Corte Sapp will lead Tennessee in tackles. That's bold. You know how I'm going to answer that one though. You're going to say Batuli. No, no, no. I'm going to say I 100% agree with you on this wow. one. Wow, because Sapp is your guy. Sapp is one of my ninjas. I have said this before. I have said it again. Every, every year or, or so, I, I look at those kind of incoming guys in that class, and I watch them play the first preseason camp, and, I, and I, I look for guys who maybe weren't like the biggest prospects, 
but I think they could be pretty good. And I go, that's my ninja. And I stick with him. And I'm telling you. You do. Sap is, I, I have a pretty good hit rate on this. Not 100% at all. Austin Smith says, what's up? Yeah. Uh, that one, <laughs> look, up in the air to this point, not looking good. Not looking good. But, but not over yet. Uh, but not over yet. Um, but Sap, I, I, I just, I love this kid. And I think he's an awesome kid. I think he's an awesome football player. And I think he is a natural ball hawk who can fly around the field and make plays. The only reason, actually, I'm going to say, I said 100%. I'm going to like 90% agree with you because I think Nigel Warrior is going to have a bunch of tackles. Yeah. Um, but I do think you said the Batuli. No, I, I think that Batuli and Kirkland will somehow eat into each other's snaps and some yeah. what positions and I, some formations and stuff. And I, I could be wrong. Maybe maybe one of them plays 100% of the time, the other one doesn't play or gets hurt, whatever. But if both those guys are out there at different times, I think they're going to take away each other's tackles to a certain extent. Uh, and I think Sapp is going to be a guy who's going to be hard to take off the field. I think we all know that Pruitt's not going to want to take Nigel Warrior off the field. I think there's going to be times where he doesn't want to take 14 off the field because I think that he is just a really, really good football player. Now that he's healthy and able to show it, I think he's really good. Yeah, I think he might be – Tennessee's most well-rounded linebacker. Batuli is obviously a very good run stopper. Thumper. Kirkland is still – he's still up in the air for me in terms of – Got to stay I want to see what he looks like coming off his injury. Uh, next bowl prediction. Got a little dog action here. Juwan Jennings will catch 10 touchdown passes. Should have said at least 10. Yeah. I should have said he'll, he'll get to double digits. My uh-huh. thinking here was that he had seven two years ago, and they don't have many other guys that they can throw the ball up to in the end zone. Here's, here's how I rate this one. I'm going to rate this one as – Want to agree, but can't agree. Because it's Juwan Jennings. No, not because it's Juwan Jennings. I think that, hey, with that carrot dangling on the, th- on the stick there, you play one more year, you you mind your manners, you do what you're supposed to do, and then you can go pro. I, I think he can behave under those circumstances. I think Juwan, uh, and maybe those anger management classes and stuff, calm him down. Hey, hey, maybe hope hoping for the best because he's a talented kid and you don't want any kid to get caught up in BS and, and derail their career. Here's my problem. I don't know for a fact that Tennessee will throw 10 touchdown passes. <laughs> what did they have last year? Uh, not very many. I think Garantano had like, was it four or six? He, he did not. I'm going to look that up now. Garantano did not have many last year. Um, and, you know, Will the Throw McBride didn't really do a lot of that either. Yeah, uh, Garantano threw four touchdown passes last season. I think they had 10 combined. Now I'm looking up. Will McBride, how many did you have? Will McBride had one. So up to five, right over there. Yeah. Let's see. Were there any tricksters throwing touchdown passes in there? Uh, no. Let's make sure we've mentioned everybody here. Dormity. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to see if there's anybody other than Dormity. Because without that, this is going to be the final answer. Well, they didn't score that many touchdowns at all. Overall, last season, if we're being honest. That's true. Dormady last season threw. I know he had three against Jordan. Ha! He threw six. Ah, 11. So, 11 total last season. Um, <laughs> I think that. Hey, here, these are bold predictions, man. No, they're bold. They're bold. I, I think that Tennessee's. I think Chandler will get some touchdowns. I, I think some of the other backs, you know, London. I'm just saying if, if Tennessee's able to find the red zone consistently, I mean, I like my chances throwing a fade at 15. That's all I'm saying. Don't count out Eli Wolf. I'm telling you, bro. 
Don't do it. Uh, next bowl prediction. I think this one's just about a lock. Uh, Tennessee finishes with a plus turnover margin. Tennessee was plus seven in 2015 when they peaked under Butch Jones. I'm gonna. They were my, They were in the negatives the past two years. Big I'm, departure. I'm gonna say somewhat agree with this one, and I like this prediction because I think that there's two ways Tennessee's gonna be able to play defense this season. If uh, let me guess, aggressively. Well, yeah, you can or bend, don't break. You can bend, don't break, or you can put your hand in the ground, go like hell, and try to make things happen. I think that's what they're going to do. And I think Pruitt's going to do that because everything in Pruitt's nature is to play like that. Because uh, and I, Travis Ryer, another uh, good FOP down there at Alabama, covers uh, the tide for our, our our network down there for Bama Online, and he has said that, and he this guy studies and watches as much Alabama football as anybody. It's his job. And he swears that of, of Kirby Saban and Pruitt, that Pruitt is by far the most aggressive of all those three guys in terms of the heat he wants to bring. So I think when you're not great at corner and when you're not great up front, what are you going to do? You're going to drop a lot of blitzes and you're going to come after people. Either that or you're going to sit back and play cover two and you know try to keep them in front of you. Okay. And I think he wants to play press man, which means he's going to come after people. And he wants to play press man with Tennessee's current cornerbacks, which unless something changes, boy, that is bold. But I think this will be true. A couple reasons. One, I think other than Virginia, other than West Virginia, the non-conference schedule is forgiving, and I think they'll rack up some there. And then I think in SEC play, they'll they'll probably be aggressive and give up some points. But I think I, I could see this happening. Yeah, my, my thinking was that his defense is always – Four turnovers. He's aggressive. Um, it's what he does. Fifty-seven in the old, past old two years coach. at Alabama, uh, and then at Georgia it was twenty-two and twenty-nine. Uh, so that was about two a game both those seasons. You know the movie Major League. Yeah. At the very end, give him the heater, Vaughn. I think Pruitt is a give him the heater, Vaughn kind of defensive coordinator. Yes. Uh, next bold prediction is that Jared Garantano will win the starting quarterback job to open the season. My reasoning here, uh, and this is to say to open the season, I'm not saying he's going to start all twelve games or however many games or whatever. Um, is that I just think Tennessee is going to need a quarterback that can go out and win them games. I don't think they can have a game manager back there because I don't think they're going to be good enough, A, defensively. Yeah, what are you trying to manage? Or, B, <laughs> running the ball. I don't think they're going to be able to just ground. They're not going to be able to play ball control yes. and rely on the defense. They're going to need a quarterback that can go out there and make some stuff happen. And to me, and we've talked about this a little bit already, uh, Garantano gives you more upside to do that because I think he's got that more in him than Chris does. Now, Keller Chris could – be a guy that once you let the reins off of him a little bit, he can get the job done and makes plays. But at Stanford, maybe, maybe he, he just goes YOLO. At, but at Stanford, he just he had to not lose games because he could hand the ball or throw it to Christian McCaffrey his first year as a starter, and then last year he could hand the ball or throw it to Bryce Love, and who who was you know maybe the Heisman winner if if he would have been healthy. Who won the Heisman last year, by the way? Hold on, Baker Mayfield, your boy. How do you forget this? That's um, true. I haven't voted for the damn thing. I should remember <laughs> that. But yeah, no, no, yeah. Baker uh, Mayfield. And won. so I just sorry. I, I, I was I was looking at your predictions to try to get my answers ahead of time, and um, I, I just completely blanked. on And that. so I think that you know this offense is going to have to take some risks, and I think Garantano is the guy that you can take some risks with um, more than Chris has shown. And a lot of people think some people think you know they didn't bring Chris here to to not start all that stuff. True, but you know. I, I just I, again I just think they're going to need a quarterback that can go out and make some plays and and get it done and I think 
I think Garantano offers more upside with I, that. Now, I, if I, he I, could I, start the season and bomb, and then Chris takes over. But I just I think they're going to need a guy that can go out there and, and make some stuff happen. I strongly yeah. agree with that one. That one is, I think, a pretty safe pick. Actually, I think that one is is pretty pretty sensible. I think that now my bold prediction would be that I think three are going to play because they're going to need three. But uh, that that would maybe that's so bold as to be stupid. But uh, no, I, to answer your question, I agree with that one. Uh, bull prediction number four, Ty Chandler goes over the 1,000-yard mark in terms of yards from scrimmage. So that's receiving and running. I agree with you, and the reason I do is because a couple reasons. One, Pruitt doesn't like – Pruitt prefers bigger backs, smaller backs, but until proven otherwise, Ty Chandler is maybe the best skill player on that team on offense, not named Juwan Jennings. And so I think he will have to – I think they'll have to give him the ball. And I think because of the struggles they could have, pat, uh, you know, protecting the quarterback, I could see a lot of screens and checkdowns. So, yeah. yeah, I think between rushing and running, I, I I like this one because it's good and bold, but it could be – it could definitely happen. I like this one. I'm going to say uh, mostly agree. Yeah, and, and if you're Tennessee's offense, you're, you've got to divvy out the all the work that John Kelly got last year somehow. Um, and – Chandler, I think, is going to be one of those guys that gets a lot of it. And I think he could get a lot of it in, different, in a couple different ways. Um, so, uh, bold prediction number three. I don't even know if this is that bold. Uh, Nigel Warrior is a f- all-SEC first-team safety at the end of the season. I'm going to somewhat agree with this one because I, I think Tennessee struggles might make it hard for some people to do that. But uh, I think Nigel Warrior is one of the best. I think he might be one of the two best safeties in the Southeastern Conference. And I think that Last season really opened my eyes when Ed Orgeron going into that LSU game said that he thinks Nigel Warrior is one of the best players in the league at any position. And when Warrior is focused, when he's focused and dialed in, boy, he is a headhunter. He is a ball hawk. He can stuff the run. He's not afraid to go in there and hit anybody. Uh, If he stays healthy and in check and everything, I, I think he could be uh, I think he, he could be great, and I think this might be his last season at Tennessee, and I think he has a chance. I think he'll at least make second team. I could see first team. Oh, I, I totally think he's gone after the season as long as he stays healthy and plays well. And yeah. beyond his talent, my other thinking here was that the safeties in this league, they lost all the all-SEC all SEC safeties from last season are all NFL now. Uh, the two guys from Alabama, Mika Fitzpatrick and Ronnie Harrison, and also – uh, Armani Watts at Texas A&M, who was, who was a good player. Yep. Um, so there's a couple guys back. Uh, J.R. Reed at Georgia is a good player. So is Mike Edwards at Kentucky. Uh, there's some other guys there, but I think Warrior, you put it, I think if you're Tennessee, I don't think, I'm not sure you trade Warrior for any of those guys. Uh, bull prediction number two, uh, at least seven newcomers start against West Virginia. Yeah, I've been trying to I've been trying to do the math on this one, and I and I didn't name the seven I think are going to happen. I named probably a handful of those that are the most likely to happen. Yeah, here, here's where I have a beef with this. You listed Paxton Brooks as one of those, <laughs> hey, and, and I don't know that kickers and punters are listed in the starting lineup. Punters ever. are people too. They are. They're people. They're football players. Punters have lives and feelings. I I get all that. <laughs> However, uh, I don't know. That I, but but for the sake of this argument, you're counting him uh, punters in, in that. So I'll take that into account, and I will say, uh, why not? I think it's very possible. Uh, I think that you you look at, and again, preseason camp will come, and and who knows at that point. But I, I think there's a couple 
you know, Jameer Johnson at tackle, I think definitely has a chance uh, somewhere up front. Uh, Dominic Wood Anderson, I think, would be surprised maybe if he wasn't up there. See, to me, the the most likely three are Wood Anderson, um, Emmett Gooden on the defensive line. That was my next one, yeah. And then Brandon Kennedy. I think he's going to be the starting center. Yeah. No offense Ke- to Ryan Johnson. No, Kennedy counts as one, and I think Kennedy maybe knocks Carvin out of the first-team lineup. But but Carvin, well, depending on what happens with Trey Smith, yeah. but, but I, I think – I thought maybe Carvin could start now. I think he still could, but I would say with Kennedy there now, it's going to be tougher for Carvin to start, but I think he'll play. But, yeah, I mean, and then I have no idea because London could come in and steal the show or London could come in and just be a, a guy. You know, I, I think he's probably going to be more like a guy, but I think he's got to – No, I'm talking can, about a guy who gets the ball a lot. Yeah, no, I, I think he's he's going to be um, – I, I think he's going to get the ball a lot early, too. I think they, they'll they probably go a little bit by committee and then ride the hot hand the first few games of the season until they figure out who they you know what they got there. But I think London's going to be uh, – as long as he's healthy, I think he's going to be a guy that's going to get minimum eight to ten touches, carries a game, just because I think that yeah. he, he gives them something that they don't really have. I don't think he's a spectacular player, but I think he's a solid player that um, you can get the job done. Uh, so, yeah, I, Elante Taylor could be, uh, I think – you know, anybody with a pulse, anybody that shows a pulse at cornerback, the staff's going to be no, like, that, yes. That, that was my next we'll comment. Play you. I see, I see, I see your boy Elante Taylor there. I like it. I like that prediction. I think that he's just a pure football player and a good one. I think he'll get, he has a chance to throw himself into the mix there. Super wild card guy is, Bre- is Bryce Thompson. I mm-hmm. think he's going to start off at cornerback, but man, seeing him with the ball in his hands would make me really tempted to put him on he offense. He is electric. Yeah. And maybe you maybe you look at him as as punt return, and it, you can throw those guys in the starting lineup. They make they're on the depth chart. Yeah, <laughs> no, I'm just stretching it out. Uh, long my, long snapper holder. <laughs> my uh, my final bold prediction is that Tennessee will play in the Liberty Bowl and they will play Baylor. Uh, the big thing here is that I think Tennessee will find a way to get to six wins. That's the big picture thing, and then I try to get cute with the prediction itself. Uh, I think if Tennessee is bowl eligible this year, I'd be stunned if they don't get in Memphis because Memphis has been trying to get them for Memphis has been begging, crawling on hands and knees yeah. for years trying to make this happen. Uh, I remember talking to, I think it was 2014, talking to their uh, CEO, and he was like, we really want Tennessee, we really want Tennessee. Yeah, and then they ended up going to Jacksonville. But There are like four, there are three or four full-time employees who work year-round for the Liberty Bowl, not just like guys who help when the game comes or whatever full-time year-round employees, there's like four of them, and like three of them are Tennessee fans. Yeah. So, so they want yeah. Tennessee bad. Yeah, they've been trying to get them for uh, a few years now. They've had – I don't even think they had an SEC team last year. They had Memphis and Iowa State. Uh, obviously, it was nice having Memphis, uh, the hometown team. But, um, you know, they've had Mississippi State. I think they've had Arkansas, too. They had Georgia, two, uh, Kirby Smart's first year. So, hey, if, you know, if you're Tennessee and you wind up in Liberty Bowl, this may not be all that bad because that's what Georgia did under Kirby Smart in his first year, too. And then we saw what happened in year two. Uh, I picked Baylor because uh, the, the, the tie-in in that game is the Big 12. Are we assuming uh, Baylor is going to still be allowed to play football <laughs> just, at that point and not be uh, more it, bad news came out today? Man, what a cesspool. Yeah, um, I, you know, I think, you know, I, I hate it for that current staff and that group of players because I don't think they're associated in any way with it. But um, my, my, my fun reasoning here is that Tennessee is going to have, like, a bunch of reunions this year with former coaches. Yeah. Uh, Chico! Uh, you got your former past two head coaches coming to Neyland to coach against you on the visitor sideline. You got Derek Dooley. I know. I hope, he's, I, in, I hope he's in the press box. I, I know, hope, but I, I, ju- I just wanted to say Chico. Yeah, Chico's on the. He he's mentioned. Uh, I I just hope he 
I hope I, I get to witness you and Derek Dooley crossing paths in the new press box. And <laughs> when you go, man, they, they, they ain't fired you yet. <laughs> like two ships crossing in the night. <laughs> Look at me go, what the hell are you still doing here? That's I almost guarantee you that would be that would be uh, the first phrase. But and man, then, and then before that, Butch's illustrious return. Assuming they let interns come on the, the road games. Obviously, there's a 70-player limit. I don't know if there's yeah, a limit to I don't sports know, staff. I don't know if, if, if interns are going to make the and cut. if I was Butch, I would stay home anyway. Um, but uh, then Like you got, he was hiding in the corner of that poor recruiting yeah. video the other day. <laughs> Rolled. Yeah, Coach Butch, hey. Uh, it was like, uh, don't put me in this thing. But, uh, first time he was hiding. The first time I could ever see that he was like actively trying to not be in front of a camera. That was impressive. Yeah. I'll give him that. <clears throat> and then uh, Randy Sanders is the first guy that's coming back, too, with the uh, – with ETSU, hashtag yeah. Buck yeah. Um, America. I, 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 I assumed all of that, and I said, who is a guy that Tennessee can have a reunion with at the end of the season that plays in the Big 12 that is going to play for a team that's going to be around the 6-7 win mark in that league? And Baylor was just too easy to pick. Uh, a little Jalen Hurd reunion. Why not? Let's just go ahead and, and have that happen. The year of the uh, reunion. The year of the reunion. Um, Oklahoma State, Kansas State were some other places that, that have been projected Liberty Bowl participants out of the Big 12. But I said, shoot, Baylor, you know, they weren't – I think they only won one game last year. Uh, but there were a couple of games. They pushed West Virginia right to the end. Yeah. Uh, I they think did. they played Oklahoma State tough maybe. That was a fun game. They played somebody tough. I think they played Oklahoma tough, actually. A lot of Big 12 games um, are just fun games. Yeah. And so, you know, they were a couple bounces away from maybe winning four or five games. And so they should be better this year. Uh, I think Matt Rule is a pretty good coach. So I think Baylor will get you – know, they get to a bowl. Maybe they meet Tennessee, and we can have one more final reunion for everybody in this, the 2018 season. Plus, yeah. I'd love to go to Memphis, catch the Jerry and Jackson show. There you go. Hey, and my brother lives there now, so it would be fun to – We have a place to stay. Yeah. How about that? <laughs> we could do that. Here's why. I'm going to go uh, up in the air on this one because I, I just – I don't want people to get upset. It's just the more I look at this roster and the more and, I look at I this should, schedule, I, I should it's say. just sometimes it's like when you look at the games they'd have to win, like you, you can circle three or four games and say they got to win one or two of these to get to six. It's hard for me to circle those as as, as definite wins. That, that It's just hard for me to do that. And someone asked me this week on our board again. If you're I not think Pruitt and those guys are going to be fine but in the long term, but I it's a tough schedule and a it, tough season. It is. I mean – you, you you look at it, if you're trying to be optimistic, you can see five wins pretty easily. The three non-conference games that aren't West Virginia, Kentucky and Vanderbilt. Tennessee should always be beating Kentucky and Vanderbilt. Just out of principle. Yes. Kentucky does have some good players this year. Uh, and Vanderbilt's, you know, they're not they're not scared of Tennessee anymore. Um, but anyways, uh, you know, you got to find one other, uh, elsewhere. You get Missouri and Florida at home. You think you get one of those two. Maybe not both. Uh, it's going to be you know, really d- tough for them. Mike Tillier said that uh, he's been at the Manning Passing Academy for, what, a decade, basically ever since it's been going on. And he said that this season, Drew Locke's performance at the Manning Passing Academy was the best he has ever seen any quarterback throw the ball at the Manning Passing Academy, which, whoa. Then you want to hear a second whoa. He said a lot of people are talking about Bosa and some others at the top. He goes, I think this guy could be in the running for number one overall pick. Whoa. Depends on who the, the team picking number one is, but Derek Dooley's gonna 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 make some he's gonna be cooking with gas with that thing. Yeah, but if you're you know, it's Derek Dooley, he'll probably run it on the ground. Hey, it was defense <laughs> that usually was the problem for them, usually. Um Yeah, I mean, you know, if you can get one of those other games, I I think it's 
Tennessee fans seem to be thinking they have a good shot of beating West Virginia. I don't see it. I, I think this defense, I think that's just a bad matchup uh, right off the bat to open the season. Uh, that five, that four-game gauntlet, they're not, you know, at Georgia, at Auburn, Alabama, at South Carolina. South Carolina's been really good, I think, this year. Um, I think they're going to be uh, solid, yeah. I mean, they're going to be – Muschamp's doing a good job. They're going to be good defensively just because that's how Muschamp is, and I think, you know, they've got all the pieces on offense. They get Debo Samuel back, who's probably their best player. They got Brian Edwards. They got two NFL receivers to throw to. Um, that's the thing. I mean, for me, Tennessee. And if, if 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 they got that new, you know, if Brian McClendon can get them to not be terrible on offense, then I think they could be really good. But well, could it, let's say that you're looking at those five as you know, put them in the bank. I'll say this: I think four of those five. I don't know which one they'd screw up, but four of those five, I'll put them in the bank. Four of those five, what wins? Yeah, four of those five, I think. I could say okay. Well, I think they're going to beat Kentucky because that's what just Tennessee just beats Kentucky and Knoxville. Usually, yeah. But here, here's where even okay. Let's say all five of those happen. You still at that point you, you got to beat Missouri or Florida at home, probably Missouri or Florida or West Virginia. You got to find a way to win one of those games. And and I just uh, uh, I just don't know. I don't know that I see. I don't know that I see a win there. Maybe I'm crazy and they win two of those three or all three of them. For all I know, that's why they go out there and play the game. And but I, if and you're think, saying right now pick them, I'm like, eh. I, I think this could be a lot like a typical first season in that there will be one game where nobody gives Tennessee a chance to win, and you get to the fourth quarter and they have a chance to win, mm-hmm. and maybe they come up short or lose it or something like that happens. Yeah, they're highly recruited guys on scholarship. Um, they're not stiffs. They can yeah. they can go out there and, and make then there'll a game. be a game. Maybe they huff and puff past Charlotte or somebody, or maybe they, you know, maybe they lose to Vandy or Kentucky. Uh, maybe they give a game away that, that people think that they can win and they don't. And then, you know, there'll be some games where they just get run off the field because they don't have the horses. So it's going to be a little bit of that. I think it's going to be a typical first year. But I do think, as I said, I think I think they find a way to get enough. They scrape together enough to get to a bowl game. And then I, I, I think a bowl game is absolutely a good step in the right direction for Tennessee. Hundred percent, yeah. And it shouldn't be acceptable necessarily, but I mean, you're you're coming off a season where you didn't win. It. No one's going to throw a parade. No one's going to put up a statue. No cartwheel, Steve Spurrier. But but I, as I accidentally throw something across the room here, uh, if I think I'll put it this way, I think Vegas putting that over under five point five is perfect. That yes. is the perfect over under for this team, and that's why I say toss up on that because it's hard for me to. Like if I, if you said right now you put a gun to my head and you said Wes what's the record I'd say five and seven that's sitting here at the end of June and someone predicting, had- predicting a record now that you know at that point you're six and six or seven and five wouldn't be a shock I mean it wouldn't be a shock but if you said right now you have to guess here's a mortgage payment on the line what do you think I would say oh, five and seven and I was asked this week if I thought seven and five was more likely or five and seven was more likely. And I said five and seven. Of those two, yeah. That was my dose of reality after the tinge of positivity that I threw out with the bold prediction. See, Patrick, you were saying I wasn't going to like a lot of those. I, I liked a lot of them. I did. Not that it matters. I mean, you're probably sitting there going, well, the ones that Wes said he likes, I'm second-guessing for all I know. But I, I, I think No, you're were... not Ryan, so I'm not feeling that way. <laughs> yeah. And thankfully, thankfully I'm not, and, and thankfully you're not. <laughs> I think that's a, probably a good way to. Yeah, one Ryan is plenty. One is all we need. One is all we More than enough. need. Guys, thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next week uh, with at least one, maybe two episodes. We'll see what's going on with all of that. 
Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for checking out. And again, go back. If you're just now listening to this, go back and listen to the John Ward episode uh, from a couple episodes ago. We broke down a lot of good stuff there. So thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening to our nonsense for another hour or so. Uh, Patrick, do you want to tell us where you're going on vacation? Nope. To people. Do you have any I'm, final thoughts? I'm going to the moon. Do you have any final thoughts? No. <laughs>